Welcome to Broadviews with Tabitha Wallace. I'm Tabitha Wallace. Please support this podcast and more by subscribing for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com forward slash Tabitha Wallace. Life in this pandemic is far from equal for all. While bailouts flowed quickly from Washington for banks, big pharma, the energy sector, airlines, and even cruise ships, there's very little relief for the average American. And with most things beyond the economic divide in the United States, there is the racial divide. The disinformation about and to communities of color has sharpened the mistrust of the government and the media. And here we sit most of us in some kind of physical isolation, hoping to stave off the thousands of deaths due to the coronavirus in the middle of one of the most important elections in recent history. Or is it? Are these moments in time what they seem? Bad luck, terrible governance, or is it our perception of these things that is starting to change with the challenge on everyone's doorsteps for once? Recently, I sat down with author and activist Dee Watkins. Born and raised in East Baltimore, Dee Watkins has not only become a success story himself with New York Times bestselling book, The B-Side, The Cook-Up, and his latest, We Speak for Ourselves. Dee also is an educator, working with his own community each and every day. Here's The Broad View with my guest, Dee Watkins. Hi, Dee. How you doing today? How's everything? Good. I mean, aside from you know, a pandemic and dumpster fires in downtown DC. It's pretty good, you know? It's crazy because as bad as as the virus is, a lot of people are talking about washing their hands and drinking water. And I think that can always be good. I mean... (laughs) I know, right? I was like, how... How have you lived this long with not drinking water and washing your hands? I know, right? It's like when you have to be told like forty-seven thousand times, it gets it gets a little scary. But you know, we people are working it out, <laughs> right? I wondered something because we, you know, the media definitely portrays these situations in very. They tend to look at you know larger, more populated white communities and how they deal with it. Does is this like? Because, you know, we've kind of been through this before, if people don't remember, with the swine flu and bird flu and these kind of things. Maybe not on this mass scale, but, you know, we've been told there's this horrible flu going around and, and you have to do all these things. Primarily white communities are, are going out and buying all the toilet paper in stores. Yeah, it's like... Is that, is that a white thing? Because it feels like it. Because I don't... It's such a weird... And I find it to be a very selfish reaction to something. Is that... Is that something that happens in primarily black communities as well? I mean, are people buying toilet paper out at all the corner stores or are people just washing their hands and being normal? I mean, we used we used to buy the toilet paper and now we have competition. No, um, I, <laughs> I think um, I mean, we see this when there's like a like a blizzard coming, you know, all the milk, all the milk, eggs and toilet paper is gone as if snow is going to you know, stop um, <laughs> as if snow is going to like make the, the the production of milk and eggs and uh, toilet paper go away. So, you know, I think, um, I think people panic and I think, um, you know, it's, it, it, it can be scary, but you know, I, I just try to follow the directions and, and it, it stay out of the way as much as possible. And pretty soon science, I trust science. Um, you know, I'm very, very anti-Republican when it comes to science. I, I believe in it. 
I think that you know these 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 men and women, and you know they're gonna they're gonna go into their labs and put their coats on, and they'll they'll figure it out. Yeah, I think we there was a strange thing that happened where everybody just kind of a bunch of people just said to you know science really. I mean, is that really how things work? And I find the thing with the buying up of of eggs and milk and toilet paper, like they think that a snowstorm or, you know, a two week flu quarantine is going to be this like major struggle on their system. Like they can't handle it. Is it do you think it's partly because we don't really as a society, most of us understand where things come from? Um, You know, what's crazy is that. So I want to, I want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to mess this up, but there has been a history of sicknesses and like these types of emergencies that have been popping up, um, around election time, you know? So it's like, you know, at one point Y2K was coming and that was going to erase all the computers. And then we had the anthrax scare, and then West Nile virus, and then SARS, and then bird flu, and then the E. coli scare, and then the economy of 08 was just going to wipe us all out, and the swine flu, and then the BP oil was going to just take over the sea, and then, you know, it was North Korea in 2013, followed by the Ebola, followed by Zika, and then, it's you know, so it's like these mass fear movements, um, there's always a new one, and one thing about them is that they don't discriminate, they have the power to attack anybody rich poor black white asian whatever and um and there's nothing we can do about it so i I think um if we had a good leader in office then that leader would be telling us to remain calm and that leader would be pouring resources into scientists instead of trying to hide and duck and deny that this thing is a problem so you know it's one thing that i hope people take away from this is who you vote for matters. It's not a joke. You can't play around and, you know, and and try to elect the guy that you want to have a drink with, especially one who's too rich to drink in your neck of the woods. <laughs> and, right. and, and one that, um, you know, is this whole politics where it's not a joke, it's very serious. And I hope people like really pay attention to that, um, to what's going on right now. And that is kind of the thing that's going on. And you're right about these, these flu and these, epidemics or these pandemics do tend to happen in and around elections or inaugurations uh, to to pull back 2009 was the swine flu outbreak and it happened in like the beginning of the year so obama had you know the economy crash the year before take you know he's taking office in 2009 and there's this huge flu epidemic but we just seem to be kind of like clueless when we forget things really fast, we're like, this has never happened before. This has never happened before. And that seems to be this election, again, that we're being told there's these like groundbreaking candidates. It was the most diverse field ever. And in the course of two days, it became two old white men. Isn't that American? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, that's on brand. Yeah. You know, and the crazy thing about it is that the one, the positive thing I'm going to take away from it is that at least the two options are diverse in thought. <laughs> you know, one guy wants to change the whole dynamic of um, how the government works and then he wants to take the power 
um, away from the wealthy and distribute it amongst the have-nots, which is always romantic and beautiful. And one guy's just uh, clueless. He's just, yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's just up here trying to figure it out. So, um, and it's clear that the guy who's coming off as more clueless is probably going to be the guy that wins because that is how these things work. What is it? I mean, it's easy to say this is about, well, Bernie's supporters were mean online. Bernie yells a lot. Bernie does this. Elizabeth Warren didn't have a plan or she didn't do this. Like, it's easy to say like, well, you know, you can't, you can't have health care and you can't have these things and student loan debt and you can't do anything about this. Um, and, you know, we gave you a shot. It's sort of like you had your shot. And I don't know that it just now it just feels like this big diverse field of the Democratic Party at the beginning, which seemed a little ludicrous at times. But still, it was like, and yet you managed to do everything you could to make sure it came down to two white men, two old white men. Well, we have a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of. So one one thing about Elizabeth Warren um and I could kind of say the same thing about Bernie Sanders is that they preached um, and they talked a lot about things that weren't normal. Um, they talked about changing, changing things in a way that was aggressive and revolutionary and unheard of. And people say what they don't understand. So if you look at all of the establishment Democrats running, they'll just quickly endorse Biden. Um, who is basically promising more of the same, we, we kind of get a clear idea of why nothing ever really changes. Well, and that was the thing about Elizabeth Warren that I couldn't understand. It was the the things that were she was criticized for. One of them was being too organized and too much. You know, she just has all these plans. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. Someone sounds smart. You know, Obama was an elitist because he came with ideas or plans. And, you know, he didn't speak the way they wanted him to speak. and you're looking at someone like Elizabeth Warren and I'm watching this, you know, being smart and having a plan and being pragmatic and saying what should be said about people like Bloomberg. You know, she was willing to say that stuff. And I just kind of don't understand some of the criticism of her being like, she's, you know, she doesn't take herself seriously enough, but then she's too serious. And there's this, and it feels a lot like the Obama stuff. It's where it's like pretty obvious that you're trying to bring somebody down. You're not reporting on them. You're bringing them down. I also, I feel like, uh, I feel like she was the best person for the job, but I also feel like she lost. And I feel like that has been happening in politics for a really long time. Um, does sexism play a role? Absolutely. Um, but I also feel like if Elizabeth Warren was a man, people still are going to be anti <laughs> They're against they're against intellectualism. You know what I'm saying? Like right. people right now, you know, Trump's very monosyllabic, basic, um, you know, corner dumpster type of rhetoric is something that got him a lot of votes in a, a whole lot of places. And I don't think Elizabeth Warren could have done anything different as far as like how she ran her campaign. I just feel like the people who are the most upset are some of the main people who play the sidelines. Um, if you're passionate about this and you really care about this and you really want to do something about this, then maybe you should have been making some phone calls. Maybe you should have been canvassing. Maybe you should have been working harder for your candidate to build this movement instead of waiting 
for other people to do it. And now the result is um, we lost a good person and she's going to get lost, you know, probably somewhere in Joe Biden's cabinet, in the back of Joe's Biden cabinet. And we won't even, might not even have that strong voice in Congress because that was, you know, she's a, she's, she's been a champion there as well. Yeah. And I think we just, there's another part to it that we have looked at someone like, you know, for a long time it was, you know, 2016 was, which we clearly learned nothing from. Like we learned nothing from the 2016 election at all. And, you know, we stumbled into this one, I think, thinking, well, he's done such a horrible job. Well, I didn't think this, but a lot of people kind of felt like Trump has done such a horrible job. It'll be a cakewalk. Like it'll be so easy for us to do this. And no one thought for a second that how hard the sort of corporate Democrats were going to fight against things like that even come anywhere near socialism, despite that's kind of the base of their entire party is social security and, and, you know, the stuff we don't like to say as socialists. Um, But that comes from this idea that it's ideological for them. It doesn't affect them on a daily, daily basis. The people that are sitting around these tables making these, you know, campaign decisions. And they are only there for that. They're there for that campaign and that's it. Why, even after everything we've seen, the Black Lives Matter movement, everything we've seen over the last, even the Me Too movement, why do we still not see that huge number of people that'll come out for a presidential campaign doing the same thing day to day? If you want to make the change, why aren't they doing it day to day? There are people who do, but why aren't more of those people doing it? Because they're on their phones. <laughs> <laughs> they're on their phones complaining, and that's become acceptable. That's become the new norm. And as long as that's a thing, then we're not going to be getting what we deserve, and we're not going to be we're not going to be achieving what we what we can achieve. You know. Um, uh, everybody's complaining after the fact. Everybody's making these big, uh, these having these big conversations after the fact, and it's just it's just too late, and it's not it's not good. How do you feel about the the narrative? Because this it seems to be now the political pundits are really honing in on. Aside from you know Wall Street, Bernie versus Biden, how Wall Street would react to that. But they're also it's you know the black community, which is. Com- which is continually by the DNC billed as, you know, their base. Biden tends, his his demographics of the votes he's getting are over 50 and 60 Black voters, not younger Black voters. What does that really mean, saying that, you know, Black voters are the base, you know, the heart of the Democratic Party, yet the Democratic Party hasn't really stepped up you know, they didn't step up during Black Lives Matter in a meaningful way, I think. And they didn't, they don't step up. Tab, I like, I, I, you know, this is, you know, this is, this is a real moment. I, I try to go out here into the world and I try to tell people there's no such thing as the Black vote, where it's complex as every other voting block. And then when I look at it and I see like 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent of black people who are like back and body, I don't understand. I'm totally confused. And the only thing I can say is that out of that large numbers of African-American voters who are supporting Biden, you know, it has to be a tremendous percentage of black people who are just lost faith and not going out to the polls because I don't know a black person other than um, Claiborne 
that <laughs> that is back in Joe Biden. And I also feel like um, Bernie Sanders doesn't have the right surrogates to get to the black vote. Like he, you know, he doesn't. I, I think I don't know if they feel like it's a lost cause, but I feel like Bernie's not sending the right people out there to try to let black people understand what's going to happen for them in America under um, a Sanders presidency. I, I think he can do better at that, honestly. What is it about these surrogates? Because, you know, I mean, they've been around, but they, they it seems that they're so in our face right now. And it probably is just the prolifer, pl- proliferation of social media that we, we can follow them and we see their every move. I think it's too many people endorsing candidates. Like, it's so weird. Like, It'll be like it's like a like a, a a local city council person from like the smallest uh district in my city will do this big Twitter announcement with my heart has been weighing heavy. I've been a sleepless nights. I just don't know which direction to move in, but I just gotta let you guys know that I'm endorsing blank blank blank. And it's like, uh, who gives a fuck? Like nobody in the world, nobody asked you who you were voting for and the way you vote. Uh, Jesse Jackson or any of these other people, the way you guys vote doesn't mean anything for me and what I'm going through. I don't, I don't understand. There's so many people endorsing candidates. Bernie Sanders thinks that because um, he does some videos with Public Enemy and Killer Mike that every black person is going to follow. I'm sorry, no matter how good your ideas are, that is grossly out of touch. It's out of touch. Like it's, it's out of touch. Um, I, the, one of the reasons why I didn't back stand, or I didn't, I'm not going to say back because nobody cares about my endorsement either. And <laughs> I, I, truly, right. truly, I truly stand on that. One of the reasons why I didn't develop like a strong love for the Sanders campaign was because of when they asked him about reparations, he could have said something like, um, you know, we had to figure it out or I can't see it working or we got some creative ways to approach the issue, but he responded by saying, I'm not giving away money for nothing. And it's like, at the same time, he was the same person that signed off on the railway act that got some Holocaust survivors, like an extra, you know, $60 million. And I'm not against that, but, and I'm not saying that that money wasn't for nothing, but when people have been wronged by the history of this country, um, and you can, you can see some histories mean more than other histories then it's just a clear reason. It's just another clear way of showing how disconnected you can actually be. So I think um, that was my problem with Sanders early on. And then it becomes, you know, when it gets, when it gets down to it, it becomes like, uh, you know, that, that conversation where you say, well, would you have like a broken, a broken, a broken finger, a broken leg or a broken neck? And, uh, you know, Sanders is definitely the finger in this in this situation. I think Biden might be two broken legs, and then <laughs> Trump is just dead. Like, <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a straight line on the monitor on that one. There's no brain activity. There's no brain activity. I mean, I don't know if this you know this election is going to be a major shit show, and you know we gotta we gotta write about it and we gotta challenge it and we gotta educate who we can educate and do what we can do and even after we do all of that I'm, I hate to say it but I still I don't have a lot of faith. Well, that's a positive. No, <laughs> but it is. It's like I, I, you know, I'm not gonna tweet out like like, and that's the same thing. I don't endorse a candidate or anything like that. I don't feel it's my place. And honestly, like I'm a white 
cis heterosexual woman like my vote is not like my what what's going on in my life or whatever is it's insignificant like I am not the person that you should look at and go how is she voting for herself like that's not how we think about it but there's a disconnect of all this where we take things like like you were talking about that it's like on the one hand we'll give money to these holocaust survivors and recognize the the historical trauma we will recognize that that's something that needs to be repaired and yet with the united states we're still in this place where we want to believe this nonsense fairy tale about pilgrims and Native Americans and how some slaves didn't hate it so much and it was all great and, you know, we've built this beautiful shining beacon on a hill and whatever. And whatever is what exactly it is. Slavery was actually fun. You know, we played games <laughs> and there was Wi-Fi and the tail on, uh, on the uh, liberal. We just had a great, we had a great time. Come on, like, cut the bullshit, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing we think about. It's like, from the minute, from 1619, when the first slave ship showed up here, and it was allowed. It was allowed not just in one town, in Jamestown. It was, you know, it was accepted by the other colonies around it as they popped up. It became, nobody stopped and said, oh, this is why we're leaving England. Isn't this terrible? Everybody went, yeah, well, saves us a buck. And so our entire concept of labor in this in this country and this country and our democracy was built on the idea that labor is animals. We're cattle. That's how they look at us don't think about that enough how it's like these people like biden or anybody we're cattle we're numbers we're a chart you know we're just we're just little dots on on data for them and to be used i just don't know why more people don't understand that you know and it's like and you know the biden campaign is kind of like you know his whole his whole his whole language is sending it around hey come on you guys know me hey Look, here's the deal. I had a black fan for eight years. You saw this. That's his. That's his whole angle. Is like we know you, and yes, motherfucker, we know you. We know exactly. We we know you've been running for president since 1988. Right. We know that that some some negative things has happened, especially if you were a black person caught up in a war on drugs. We know you were on the wrong side of that. We know you were on the wrong side of the war in Iraq. Like, we know you've been a champion for criminal justice despite how fucked up the system is, motherfucker. We know you. And the problem is that with all that we know about you, we know you're still not as bad as Trump. And then we get pushed um, into a, a situation where we we got to make a choice. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of black people didn't take, uh, fuck, I hate speaking about it. It's like we're a monolithic voting block, but it's just, when you look at the polls, it's, it's the polls are saying some hard truths. But when um, a lot of African-Americans didn't really get a chance to connect with Warren and didn't really get a chance to connect with, um, you know, with Bernie and a lot of the Bernie people on the internet, the Bernie bros, a lot of them are, are bots. Like all of them aren't real. So um Anybody tricked by that is just, you know, it's just, it's just silly. Um, it's just silly. Like I, I definitely think it's some, some. The the most annoying thing about Bernie supporters is that if you question Bernie, they lose their shit. Um, but I don't think all of them are like super racist, hyper masculine, 
fucking dickheads come in to just batter people. I think a lot of that stuff is just interference, um, which is, you know, how the pres- how the current president got his job anyway. Right. I think it's weird because we know how much is bots. We know how much is just 4chan douchebags, uh, literally like douchebags in front of their fucking computers in their fucking mom's basement, to use a broad generalization. Um, just fucking with people for no reason online. And I think that's like a third of the traffic because I see it all the time and it's easy to spot. They have three followers and, you know, a picture of Trump in their thing. Like, don't take them seriously. I'm a big believer in mute that shit, get it out of your life. Don't answer it. Just ignore it. But people can't do that. They can't ignore it. They have to like get in the fight and, and argue with nonsense you know, less than it's only a few million people actually in the United States consider themselves, you know, regular Twitter users. And yet a huge part of this campaign, you know, a lot between like Elizabeth and Bernie and all of this was about these, you know, Bernie bros and how bad it is online for these people, which really amounted to a very small elite group of people. And meanwhile, we stuck, we're still living in a society where you know, some people will never know about their Bernie bros because they can't afford fucking Wi-Fi or phones. So <laughs> right. like there's like that, too. So that's why like all of these things are just it just leads back into how disconnected these people are. And, you know, being a lawyer doesn't mean you could make a good politician. Being a person who was in who who, who won, you know, who won whatever local race or whatever, whatever race. You know, all of these things, just these people know nothing about social science. They know nothing about running a business. They're just career politicians and they have long histories of not doing shit. And we got to settle for it. Um, and then I'm a huge hypocrite because I, I think I, I think I have, you know, the right to comment on this stuff as a citizen, but I'm not going to run for office and I'm not going to join a campaign. So, you know, I guess I'm part of the problem, too. Like, you're not like I'll never buy a fucking bumper sticker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, all right. You know, like I'm just I'm not I'm 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 not doing it. I can't lie, in two thousand eight I was really, 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 really excited about all that Obama stuff that was going on and just living through the Obama era and seeing the good things and seeing a whole lot of bad things made me just realize that hey, I don't know, it kinda it's I I don't wanna say I became more cynical, but the fight continues and it's a bottom up fight for me. What does that mean for you, bottom up fight? Bottom up fight for me means what am I doing for the community? What am I doing for the people who I have access to? What am I doing for, you know, you know, it's like uh, there's been a lot of scholarship around the idea of of how money is not going to cure racism or how money is not going to be able to erase systemic racism. And I totally agree. At the same time, that's not like a rally cry for being broke. And (laughs) if you do have if you have resources, if you can take care of your family, then you're less likely to commit a crime. That's helping out the community. If you have resources, then you can expose yourself and your family to more things. That's making the world a better place. If you understand the role that critical thinking plays in tying all of these things together, then you can, again, work to making a better reality for you and your family. And I just try to I just try to stay on that side of the track. I just, you know, if a politician has some type of funding or plan that can help some of the stuff that I want to do, I gladly take it. But at the same time, um, I'm not, it hasn't happened. Like I've, of all of the stuff I've done in schools in Baltimore, all of the stuff that I was able to accomplish, I've never had like support from like um, a big politician. Like I've never had like the mayor allocate some type of funds towards reading and literacy or, 
none of these things, and I'm not saying they have to. I'm saying that <laughs> it's some damn good work that's being done, and if they could attach themselves to it, it would make them look like a better person. But, you know, I just know that I have to do what I have to do to try my best to elevate people um, ground up, bottom up, um, the people, not the people who, you know, the people who these politicians talk about helping, somebody has to really be there to do the work. And that's where I come in at. Well, I'm glad you're there doing the work on the ground and and sharing that and bring that to the next generation, the next generation, because I think that's, that's the thing that's going to change it. I grew up in a small rural town and we never expected shit from the federal government, the state, anybody. We knew if we needed things to be done, we had to do it ourselves. And I was raised not to trust the government in that way. <laughs> Don't trust the government to come swooping in and fix everything. Government has been working hard, right? And making sure you never trust them. They've been doing good, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do real good to make themselves seem incredibly nefarious. And I used to say this a lot years ago. And it said, if you don't want people to think you're nefarious, don't act like that. Don't do things that are shady. Don't say things that are like that. And, you know, I think a, a healthy skepticism of a politician is a good thing. Maybe more of it needs to happen this day and age. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I hope, I hope, I hope that, I hope we get, and I hope that, you know, maybe somebody who's, who, you know, inspired by the, the, the shows, the podcast and a body of work that you have, or somebody who read like a book that I have jumps out there and um, takes some of these ideas or some of that energy and, and, and become a person who, um, runs for office and keeps keeps this energy. I hope so, but you know, that's why we still got to maintain that's why we still got to be optimistic and we still have to do the work. And we keep doing it every day. Thank you so much for joining me today, D Watkins, uh for everything you do on the ground and on the page. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Talk soon. Talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for being a patron to Broadviews with Tabitha Wallace. Your patronage allows me to explore topics with people I would never get to pretty much anywhere else. Take a moment to leave comments, suggestions, share the Patreon with your friends so we can go from audio to video podcasts and so much more. Thank you again for supporting Broadviews with Tabitha Wallace. Take care of each other out there.